You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Proteum Machining, and this week I am very happy to welcome Kenny Urban. Welcome, Kenny. Hey, Dylan. Thank you for having me. So, Kenny, who are you? What do you do? Give us all the information. Well, as you said, I'm Patriot Machinist, known on uh, Instagram, and I am a machine shop supervisor at Meyer Tool and Manufacturing in Oakland, Illinois. Um, I've been machine shop supervisor for a few years now. Before that, my dad was a supervisor. Now he's just uh, looking to retire eventually. So I kind of stepped in his uh, footsteps, right? Um, yeah. So my big thing is, is obviously being on Instagram and social media, you know, the whole idea behind that was, is to try to get kids into manufacturing. Uh, that's why it's really important. I, you know, I bring my daughter into the shop, things like that, and try to get kids involved. Oh, so, so what does a machine shop supervisor mean at your company? Because, you know, I, I know a lot of people have that job title and do everything from only management stuff to mostly machining stuff. Where do you lie in that spectrum? So, yeah, I am what you consider a working supervisor. So basically what that means is, is I'm out there making parts. As you guys see on my Instagram, I'm doing crazy titanium vacuum chambers and, and things like that. And not only that is I'm supervising my team that I have on the floor. So we have a lot of newer equipment. I've got a lot of newer guys. And so it's kind of, kind of hectic sometimes because you got the meetings, you got keeping track of inventory, seeing what we have as far as, you know, consumables and, um, and I'm just supervising. And you guys, my, my nephew works with me, my brother works with me, my dad, obviously. And then I've got my late guy who we, I actually ended up stealing from another department, from our assembly department. And, you know, he's doing great. So I'm not a late guy. I'm a mill guy. I can do the lathe, but I was able to steal him over from another department, train him on a lathe. He's been a godsend. He's been able to do all of our lathe stuff. So it's really, really nice. That's killer. So I guess... Who is Meyer Tool, right? Yeah. So Meyer Tool is a custom fabrication shop. We offer services in engineering, machining, welding, and assembly testing. We are considered industry experts in ASME pressure vessels, vacuum chambers, and cryogenic systems. We started back in 1969 in a garage right in the same town that our building is right now. So we went from a garage to a 52,000 square foot facility. Um, so yeah, we've got a, we've got a big, big place. And that's because we've got multiple departments. We don't just do machining here. We do assembly testing involves using helium spectrometer machines that will test our welds to see if they're leaking. Um, they basically pump a, a, a chamber down under vacuum, spray helium around it. And if those helium molecules get through the welds, the machine will start screaming. So we've got extensive assembly, welding. Our, uh, our weld fabricators are doing exactly that. They're not just, you know, your typical welders. They're, they're building things to print and they're, and they're even welding things within 5,000 tolerance welding. So yeah, I mean, past x-rays, past, past cryo shocks, pretty cool stuff. And then obviously our machine shop and post a lot of my work on Instagrams there so you can see what kind of work we do as well. Yeah. Well, and it's worth noting to the audience, you just had an excellent tour for Practical Machinist. So anybody yeah, that who's was curious about seeing like seeing what we're talking about, head over to their YouTube channel and check it out. It was one of the better shop tours they've done, I think. I appreciate that. You know, a little nerve wracking. Not used to not used to all the speaking in front of cameras and even a podcast with a microphones, but I'm getting there. 
definitely no it, it was great and uh the the intro and outro of you getting in and out of the machine was really funny <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it well that's our new baby that's our that's our vmx 84 herco that is a beast of a machine so yeah, i could probably sleep in there if i really want to see <laughs> well so you mentioned the herco what other machinery do you guys have what does your machining department look like well um as you know the skilled labor force out there is diminishing right so you know the herco was something that we really really kind of grasped onto because of their conversational control i mentioned that i i actually hired my my nephew in and he was programming parts on the herco control within i think it was like the first week so that's the whole reason we lack the skill employees that are out there. So we needed to find a machine that was able to be intuitive enough to bring in and train somebody that could actually, you know, do that without having to, you know, write long G code and things like that. So we have uh, multiple Hercos out there on the floor right now. We are Herco Pro Shop. Now, well, I guess we can talk about that later. So we, uh, we have several machines. I've got uh, VMX 84, which is our newest one. So our 84 inches travel in the X. We have a VMX 42 SRTI. That was the first newer Herkel that we got. That is the swivel head five axis where you see in most of my videos. Herkel A TMM 10. We also have a new VMX 30 UDI, which is a training style five axis. Um, that one is actually a beta machine. So being a Herkel Pro Shop, I get to get all of my controls unlocked with all the latest options, all the latest features. We beta test all of the control, the new control versions, and they're actually beta testing a 60 pot tool changer. So I got, oh, the, awesome. uh, yeah, I got the option to be able there. They just gave me a call and said, Hey, do you want to beta test this? And they dropped it off. We just had to hook it up. And so, you know, we got a deal where we can, we're going to buy it later, but at a discount, but it's pretty cool. And then, you know, VMX 24, all my three axis mills have fourth axis as well. So pretty, pretty outfitted on that. And then. Haas, we do have three Haas machines. We've got a Haas VF11. It's pretty old. It's like probably 1996. Still, still working. Um, we do a lot of large platform stuff too, so we need the larger machines. Then we have a Haas SC35Y, live tooling Y-axis, 15-inch chuck upgrade. And we have a Haas EC2000. If I remember correctly, that particular machine... I think it was an IMTS buy because there's like two, like two in the world. It's crazy. It's EC without the rotary table built in. We have a, a secondary rotary, an optional rotary table that we put in. So we got a lot of mills, a lot of lathes. I do have a TL3 as well, but that's just tool room, tool room lathe. Um, so, yeah. so you mentioned a couple things there I want to touch on. How much of your programming is done at the control, like with the conversational? Because I know you use Fusion as well, right? Yeah, for yeah. cam. Um, so, so how much mm -hmm. would you say of your your or your team's normal workload is done conversationally versus in Fusion? Well, before I became supervisor, it was all of it. Um, everybody was was programming G code right at the control. When I first started, I was, you know, obviously programming right at the control and. You know, what kind of got me more interested in manufacturing was when I started to dabble into cam software. And so now I would say everybody on my floor has access to Fusion 360 and they also have the access to Herco control. So if something's, you know, pretty simple, then we're just going to use the control for it. There's no need to sit down in front of the laptop and, and program that. But anything like surfacing or any, you know, larger parts or anything like that, got access. So it's, 
probably a good uh, 60-40 mix. 60, 60% wow. in, under control. That's crazy. That's, uh, I think, fairly unheard of in this industry, at least with people that I talk to. So that's, that's pretty interesting to hear. With, you know, being a custom fabrication shop, having one-off parts, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's just easier. Like I just did a weld mate and yeah, I could have programmed cam, but the problem is you can't program certain things in cam when you're dealing with weld mix as far as, you know, how this thing had weld shrinkage and how I'm shimming it and holding it, things like that. It just seems sometimes it's easier. Like I just did some O-rings. It's easier just to import a DXF file right into the control, put the lines and, and then hook the control, take it from there. Awesome. So the other thing that you mentioned, how does one become a pro shop for Herco? Because that's I, the first time I've heard of it. Yeah, they're out there. There's quite a few of them out there. Pro shops are, you can actually, I guess, get invited, I guess, so to speak. So I was doing a lot of videos on my VMX42 and Herco was reposting them a lot. And I think the conversation um, began, actually, I can't really remember how that conversation began, but I was asked to be a Herco pro partner. And then from there, I was, Herco has their own SSE team that you work directly with. If you have any issues, you're just a text or a phone call away. So yeah, it's, it's, I guess if you want to be a Herco pro, let me know and I can let them know and maybe they can reach out to you because I know they're always wanting to add more people into the program. So that's killer. So we've gone away from the script long enough. How did you get into manufacturing? You mentioned your dad, you know, was your, the shop supervisor. Was this a thing you knew from a young age you were going to be, or how did you get to, to be where you are now? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, so my dad's old school. I never thought that I'd be working with him. Number one, because he was always the kind of guy he's always like, you know, you're going to make your own way. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get you in where I'm get you a job. So I never had any intention actually working with them to begin with. When I, uh, when I got out of high school, I was going to go into computers um, and, you know, went to DeVry University, hated it, absolutely hated it, realized that, well, what I'm doing is going to be outsourced to some tech company overseas and, you know, seemed like it was going to be beneficial for me. So I left there. Then I went to Robert Morris University to get a business degree. You're going to go business and marketing. Hated it. As you can see, there's a trend there. I, I just hated school, hated school, hated school. What, you know, my age, my generation, we were all told, like, you have to go to college. You, you're not going to go anywhere unless you go to college, right? So that was, in, that was infinite in my mind, which we, we both know that's not the case. You can definitely have a successful career and make a great living not going to college and being in manufacturing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I did the same thing. I went to school for engineering and like you very much hated going to class and, and dealing with jumping through those hoops and found manufacturing, thankfully, and, and you know, stuck with it because yeah. I loved it. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And success stories, and that's, that's what I'm trying to push out to everybody, they're all success stories. But yeah, I, I ended up, um, you know, hating the business end of it. I was working as a district manager for T-Mobile. I was sales manager for like uh, quite a few stores. After I got into that, I just had some disagreements with, you know, the company and decided to, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and try something else. So I started doing contractor work. I was like, you know, doing flooring and things like that, people's homes and doing remodeling and whatnot. That lasted for about six months. And then my 
my wife got fucked. Miranda, my youngest, who's in all, you know, a lot of my videos. And I knew I needed, needed to have a job. And I, at that point, I believe I started going for a law degree. So I was, I was had every plan of being a lawyer. I was going through some crazy heated battles. My middle child, um, my ex and I were fighting over custody. I, I ended up winning custody. My lawyer's like, you know, you're really good at this. I was writing legal briefs. I was trying to save money. So I was like writing the petitions and things like that and then giving them to the lawyer. And the lawyer was reading them over, checking them all. Like I was almost like a, you know, paralegal at that point, just trying to save <laughs> money. Right. And so. Wow. My lawyer, which became a friend now, my lawyer is like, you know, you really, really need to think about a career in law. So that, that got juices flowing because identity crisis, I went from, you know, wanting to be in computers, wanting to be in business, you know, sales, marketing. And then, so I, I really didn't know what, the, what I wanted to do. Right. But I knew that I had to go to college. So that's when I started going to Purdue Global University it was online. At that point, I'd already had. My wife, my stepson was obviously there, her previous, and then custody, well, emergency custody of my middle child. So I had to do something and I had to do something fast to make money. So I was going to school to become a lawyer. And um, yeah, so that I decided to go to my dad and say, hey, you know, I, I was wondering if I could work with you. I need to make some money. You know, everything else is not panning out. So he brought me in. And reluctantly, let me tell you, you know, reluctantly, he brought me in and the first machine I ever went on was an old Debrig 3B48. It was old jig mill. And that's when I learned that if you cut aluminum dry with a uh, cob rougher, you're going to melt it and make a pretty cool looking part. Uh, <laughs> but he became a welder for that day. Yeah. A little stir friction welding, right? Um, it was for a job for Blue Origin. We were making stiffener rings for fuel cells, pretty cool stuff. So I've always been interested in what my dad does, but I never thought I was going to do it. Growing up, he would bring prints home. He built a draft table in his bedroom. So he was doing hand drafting and stuff. I had, you know, always had questions like pick up a, an edge finder. Hey, what's this? Or pick up an insert that was burnt up and he threw in his pocket or something. You know, what's this for? So, you know, I always thought what he did was cool. And Growing up, my dad has actually been at Meyer Tool for my entire life, so 36 years. So I've always been around, He, you know, company picnics, coming to the shop like I do with my daughter and checking out things around here and finding out that all this part you made went on the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, really cool stuff. So I, I, I always thought it was cool. That's why I gave it a chance to say, hey, you know, do you think I can work with you? And yeah, he threw me out of the league and then after, you know, started getting the hang of things and understanding things and threw me on our, our Giddings and Lewis boring mill that we still have. And that was G code. And that's when I got my first experience with G code. Um, and prior to that, I was, I programmed websites and things. So I think if you've got a background of reading programs, reading code and kind of translating it in your head, it can become second nature doing G code. You totally. Know? Yeah. How long ago was this? When did you start at Meyer? Uh, I started at Meyer almost 11 years ago. Okay. So this has never been in any other shop. Um, this is the only shop I've ever been in. And so now I'm, now I'm supervising a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> How big is your team? I don't know if you said, how many people do you have under you? So we've got, uh, so myself, my dad, my nephew, my brother, and my late guy. So I got a, a five man machine shop right now. Okay, cool. I got more machines than I have machinists right now. 
that's probably a good place to be, honestly, yeah. for a shop that does a wide variety of stuff. Right, right. Because I just don't keep one guy on one particular machine. We're bouncing all over the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you've got good people, which it sounds like you do, they can run more than one machine at a time, for sure. That is the yeah. plan. Absolutely. Well, very cool. We've got some questions from listeners. First up, Simon from Freddy asked, when will Miranda's door be finished with slaps covering it? And if it's not done, can everyone send in some for her? Let's get it covered. So why don't you let everybody know what's going on there? Well, all right. Originally, I had taken Miranda to IMTS and I had left IMTS. I put in a raffle for winning a Quest VR from Herco. And I ended up leaving IMTS that day and I got a phone call maybe about 20 minutes after leaving saying, Hey, you know, you want, you want a VR, do you want to come pick it up? Well, you know, I live in Chicago, right? So it's only a 20 minute drive from my home. So I had to pick up Miranda from school, pick her up from school. We drive right back to IMTS to get this VR. Well, Miranda was really impressed with everything, walking around, checking stuff out. So after we picked up the VR, we walked around IMTS some more. She got to meet a lot of people and got a lot of stickers. So I told her to keep the stickers off of her door and her walls. And I thought she was, you know, abiding by that, right? So a couple of weeks ago, wife and I were working on some stuff in her room and I go and close her door and she put all of those stickers on the out inside <laughs> of the door. Oh yeah. So of course, you know, yeah, you were supposed to do that. I took a picture of it and threw it up on Instagram and I said, congratulations if you guys made Miranda's door. So there was chip of the week. There was, I think, CNC repair man earring. There was, let's see. I want to say, oh, she's, she's actually hearing me right now. She's, she's showing me the picture. So we had CNC repair man. She had some of my stickers up there. She had Brandon EDC outlaw. A bomb was on there. So, um, I guess Simon was kind of hurt that he wasn't on there. So he, he shot me some stickers right away. So we put another video up and ran on there. So is Miranda's door finished? Probably not. So if anybody wants to send some stickers, I know she's going to be definitely excited to slap them on that door. All right. That's great. Um, speaking of Miranda, one of your team asked, let's hear about the youngster in the shop. I'm curious to see how things play out long term with his daughter. She's been exposed to a lot or because his daughter, she's been exposed to a lot, but at almost 16, isn't focused on much more than ballet friends and her new stupid boyfriend. So what, <laughs> yeah. what's the the goal with keeping your kids in involved in your job? And, and where do you kind of hope that that goes? Well, I, I do know that trying to make sure that the youth is exposed to manufacturing is definitely important. I know my entire life I was exposed to it, you know, coming to the shop with my dad, things like that. And so kind of passing that tradition on, Miranda has um, came to a serious liking of it. And I hope she does continue to pursue that. That would be great. I would love to be working next to her one day as a female machinist because we know there's not that many out there. So that'd be really cool. Um, she likes it. Um, I know she really liked when Simon called her Patriot Machinist Junior. So she's definitely uh, looking forward to that, uh, earning that title. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I think that even if they don't go into it, like having more people in this world that know how things are made and know that everything doesn't just like, you know, get spawned at the Amazon warehouse <laughs> and then show up at your door is kind of important. 
Yeah. So I, I, I really appreciate that you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I showed her a Bridgeport this morning and yep, told her not everything was all done on computers. So yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Tim's other question was, what's the smartest thing you've done in business and in life? And what is the dumbest? Well, okay. Well, the dumbest thing I've done as far as business life, well, life is I kept bringing on college debt. I'm still paying student loans, right? I should have listened to my old man when he said, you don't need college in the first place and maybe pursued my life into manufacturing a little bit sooner. Uh, the smartest is um, just really engulf yourself in what you're doing and you know, I have a tendency on if I'm interested in something, I just go all in and learn as much as I possibly can. And so that kind of, you know, made it able for me to become the sheet shop supervisor here because I just took on every bit of information I could, took on understanding, you know, that we can machine things faster, look at technology. How can we use technology? So just keeping keeping educated you know keeping educated doing so totally and then what about specifically at the job what what's a mistake that you would say is your dumbest and then what what is like your crowning jewel your your favorite smartest thing that you've done in the shop um well i would say i was pretty impressed with myself when i found out that we had a tool setter in the building so we had a lot of older machines and we had a, that EC2000 Haas. And for whatever reason, they never used a tool setter. It was sitting on top of uh, the machine. I had no idea what it was. I pulled it down. I did some research, figured out what it was, calibrated it. And from there, I think I call that smart because that really opened my eyes with somewhat of automation and, and easier ways of doing things. And so just being curious at work and again, you know, I think that was the smartest thing I ever did was really get into that and get into CAM because it really changed the trajectory of machine shops since then. And that they, the worst thing or dumbest thing I've ever done, um, I got written up for blowing up a, a, a Mountain Dew water, a Mountain Dew bottle with an air hose. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, when, right when we had customers in, in the building, we were doing an ASME pressure test on the other side of the building and I'd blow off a Mountain Dew bottle. Oh my yeah. goodness. Like that, the worst possible time you could have done that too. That, yeah, it was pre-supervisor days, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. John at the Shop Incorporated asked, what's your favorite thing about your Herco 5-axis? Does it have the interrupt features like the older controls? And, and I want to expand on that. Let's talk Herco in general. Like, what do you like about them? Why do you guys keep buying them? Uh, I don't think that they're as widespread as a lot of these other machines. Mm -hmm. And and so I don't know much about them. Yeah. Well, first question, uh, first part of the question, the interrupt button. Yes. All of the machines, even the ladies had the interrupt button. It is the greatest thing in the world as long as you're not doing a dovetail. Um, so what happens is you hit the interrupt button and the machine will retract and move out of the cut and you can move the machine around anywhere you want on a five axis. You can move all axes, And then when you go and resume that program, it will bring everything back to where it was originally and go right back into the cut. So that's um, super cool. It is. It is very cool feature to have. Uh, so yes, all the machines do have that. As far as Herco in general, like was mentioned before, the 
Well, let's go back to why Herco number one. We had an old uh, Herco MB MB one. We just recently got rid of that machine. I want to say four four years ago. Um, that machine was a workhorse. We we abused and abused it. And the only reason why we got rid of it was because the screen it was starting to go out on that instead of retrofitting a new LCD or something, you know, an old two monitor. We decided to go ahead and upgrade to our VMX twenty four. Uh, the this, the control is very intuitive. If I want to do a, you know, mill a, a circle pocket, it's as simple as going to the mill menu, circle, tell it I want to do a pocket, put the diameter. It's very intuitive. So, like I said, my nephew was able to start programming parts after a week of learning on the vertical control. So we like it because when there comes a need to do more hiring and the labor force out there is not qualified, we can, it's very easy to train them on that. The machines are excellent machines. I get great surfaces, surface finishes off of them. Um, they're solid, made uh, made to last without a doubt. We have a few Haas, you know, not to bash Haas, everybody likes to, but, you know, comparing the castings between, let's say, the, the TMM 10 lathe that we just bought and we were going to purchase another ST, it was a no-brainer. It was like this, the Herco was just made better. It, so well-made well machine, the customer service on with Herco and not just the Clifford Pro Shop is outstanding. You can email applications or service anytime and you're going to have somebody helping you out. And sometimes they'll even, you know, if it's easy enough to help you out right over the email or the phone so you don't have to worry about getting a service tech out. Um, but yeah, we just, we just ended up loving Herco. It just, it happened to be that way. And I love my five axis. The first five axis ever worked on was that VMX 42 SRTI. That uh, it's just a solid machine, of course. Too with a head swivel, five axis. It's just it's so much cooler to watch that thing go simultaneous instead of you know it's a trunnion. Trunnion is cool too, but I think the head swivel is way better. It's yeah, it's certainly more of a dynamic looking machine. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Level up CNC asks, what methods do you use to mitigate errors, collisions, broken tools on such expensive looking parts? What do you do when things go wrong? Broken taps, et cetera. So how yeah. does Herco handle that? How do you handle that, especially mixing conversational and cam? Let's get into it. You know, how, how do you guys make sure that you you make good parts the first time? Well, as we know, a lot of times we only have one shot to make a good part. I, I'm sure you guys have seen my titanium vacuum chambers on Instagram. So that particular part I could talk about, um, it was a, I think it was, 14 or 15 inch diameter round bar is all we can get the titanium gray two in. And I had to turn it into a, a rectangular bar and then obviously hollow it out for a vacuum chamber. It was insane. And I only had one piece and the lead time was absolutely insane. That is where it starts to get scary. So all of my programming, when it comes to crazy parts like that, or it's all done with Autodesk power mill. I verify everything in there and you can bet that the rapids are always pretty low. My first entry and going into things, you only have one shot. So if I can thread mill something, I will thread mill something instead of tapping it. So I don't have to worry about broken taps. Worst case scenario, if I use a tap and it breaks, these are one-off prototypes. So sometimes we can contact the customer and say, we broke a tap. You okay with putting insert in a helicoil or a key insert? I was definitely don't want to do that, but it's all, it's all just hanging on and, and hanging on for dear life and just get the part done. 
Awesome. So you mentioned Power Mill. Did you start Cam with Fusion and then get Power Mill later? Or did you start with Power Mill and then get Fusion later? So I actually started with Inventor HSM. I found out that our engineers had a few seats of the PDMC, the production, I forget what the acronym is, but it's a whole suite of Inventor and a bunch of other programs. I know we don't, we're not really using, but it included a seat of Inventor HSM. I knew Cam, my dad had a seat of Master Cam. He wasn't really using it properly. His post was not configured. He was only using it for like crazy roughing or something. And he needed, he needed to fix that post up because he was hand editing the code after that. And I knew that that was just, there's gotta be a better way. And so once I found out that we had a seat of HSM cam, I was using Inventor already. It's all self-taught, self-learned. Um, and you know, I put the HSM extension on there and it just, I just started, started working with that. And from there. Obviously, HSM and Fusion are kind of alike. So I was interested in, in Fusion, and like a lot of people did, they got the education seat, started playing with the education seat, and then went from there. So the first the reason why I jumped on Power Mill was my first 5-axis part. I haven't had any pictures or videos of that because that was an R&D NDA project, but it was a giant dome. My, so we bought the... VMX 42 SRTR for this part. So we literally accepted a job that knew that needed five axis. We didn't have any five axis programmers in the shop. We didn't even have a five axis machine. So I literally had we decided on getting the VMX 42 SRTI. We were going to go with the bigger model, but get them in stock. So I ended up, yeah, ended up getting the 42 instead. And then I had to do all the research in the world to figure out how to program this part that the diameter was bigger than my 24 inch table. So I had to figure out not only how to do five axes, but how to program a part it's too big for the envelope and do all that first time. It was insane. Ended up seeing a video online. It was Herco Europe. They were programming a part and they were doing what was called polar milling where they locked the Y axis in and they used the C axis to move everything. And so I'm like, well, that's what I need. I mean, I think it was 26 inch diameter dome that I have to put a bunch of angle holes in and, and water channels. And I'm like, that, that's what I got to go for. So we ended up connecting with our Autodesk reseller then and um, picked up Tita Power Mill. It was kind of, kind of expensive, but it was worth it ever since I, that's Power Mill's been my go-to till recently. Recently, I started really getting back on the Fusion because I hooked up with Cloud NC's Cam Assist. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It is. Mm -hmm. It is insane. That's crazy, though, that you had to do that. I mean, that sounds incredibly stressful to have to not only learn a new machine, but a new software on what sounds like probably a one-off part that you had no extra material for. Yep. Yep. I made out a solid uh, billet. I'm going to try to see if I can get clearance to post that because I think you guys are really like that. I, I ended up machining this dome that had a bunch of, forget what size, or metric holes that had to be thread milled in in all different angles. Then there was a crazy water channel that we had to have x-rayed and pass x-ray. And because of it being spherical, it was a dome with multiple radiuses. Uh, we couldn't just have a cover for the water channel bent and made to fit. So I ended up taking another piece of billet and turning it into just a cover. It was insane. Um, by far a great accomplishment. I just wish I could post it. I'm going to see if we can clear that MDA and get that posted up. I'll have that on my Instagram if I can. 
That would be super cool. So, so speaking of five axis, now that you have those, do you find that it's changing the way you guys approach parts? You know, do you tab stuff off more? Do you like, how are you, how is it changing the way that you guys approach you, the parts you make? I've done tabs a few times. I'm not a really big fan of tabs. I'm a big fan of holding on to something with, let's say a fifth axis vice or whatever with the, you know, with, with the dovetail jaws. And just doing all five sides, flipping it over and then slapping, you know, the backside off. That's, that's kind of, kind of my go-to always, but it does it changes how you approach things because instead of seeing something as multiple setups, you can do it in one or two setups. It is an absolute game changer. That's killer. Let's see. Tux Garage asked, who is your biggest inspiration for machining and where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh yeah. So. Obviously my old man, you know, when it comes to here at Meyer tool, he's old school. He's the guy that will say, make the tool. I'm the guy that says, oh, let's, you know, let's call up Dave and over at carbide cutting tools and have him make it. He, it's really cool with the mix that we have is new school and old school. In the very beginning, it was almost like Orange County choppers. You could have seen a couple of chairs thrown, but it ended up working out. But my biggest inspiration for machining is absolutely my old man. He's awesome. Like the stuff he comes up with, it's just, it's insane. As far as 10 years from now, well, who knows? I might work alongside with little Patriot Machinist Jr. So I, I really hope to use Instagram, use social media to really influence a lot of kids. We had a bunch of high school students come here not too long ago. I gave them all my information because if they needed anybody to be mentored, I just want to just continue to just get awareness to far as high, especially high schools, get awareness to the manufacturing and get people back into the industry because we really need it. It's really hard to find good skilled workers right now. So totally. Uh, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that I was going to bring up Instagram. How have you uh, approached building a, an Instagram? It seems like you do a fair number of collaborations with brands and, you know, yeah. test tools or tool holders or whatever. So how did you go about cultivating those and, and you know, for somebody they wanted to do that. How do they go about doing that? You don't ask, you don't get, I mean, it's as simple as that. So, um, well, you see a lot of emoji stuff right now. I'm working along. They, they are sending me a bunch of tools that are currently pushed in Germany and they're trying and now they're bringing them over to the United States and they're bringing them in like inch and things like that. So that actually came about because of the last titanium chamber I did, you know, that was same part. And I needed the right tools for the job. And I knew that anytime I was tapping something like titanium, I would always tap with a Moogie. Everybody knows all that's really hard to tap with. You got to buy the expensive Moogie tap, right? And so I wanted to give a shot at their, their milling side. So my rep is, I've known him for quite a few years. He was a Haas HFO tech. He was a Herco machinery source tech. And then now he's with Imugi. So he reached out to me and we've had a background. So he hooked me up tools I needed to work with. And it was kind of weird that I started already started having a following, somewhat of a following on Instagram. So I think Imugi also saw that as, uh, hey, you know, why don't you try these parts out? We'll do a collaboration. We did a video with them. And so I don't know, it just kind of, everything kind of just happens naturally. The Cloud NC that I'm doing now, with Cam Assist, I, I've always thought that AI could be incorporated into manufacturing, and I know it's going to be. There's no way we can stop it. 
just like all the old manual guys were terrified that CNC was going to take their job. What do you think AI is going to take their job? That's not the truth. It's just going to make our jobs easier. So I reached out to Cloud NC through a DM and I was just like, hey, what you guys are doing is absolutely awesome. Is there any way I could be part of this? And then they reached out back to me and, you know, now I should be posting a their three plus two version of the software and a really cool video that should be coming up soon. So like I said, asking it it can happen. So how do you go about finding the time to create the content? Because I know, you know, me included, I struggle to like maybe post a story a week because I'm just so busy and I I know it doesn't sound like you're at all slow. So how do you find the time? Yeah, it's, uh, it's normally like a Saturday after I clock out. You know, I'm, I'm still using my own time and I'm just looking at, is it an investment on growing, you know, my social media platform out there and, and it just does, it takes out a lot of time. I'll find myself on a Saturday here and, you know, thinking to myself like, man, I could be at home just chilling on the couch, but you know, I'm doing, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta make this video for this emoji, or I gotta make this video for cloud and C or, you know, um, in the end, once you see the video posted, the results, it's worth it. Totally. So now that you've worked, you know, your daughter's getting into it. You've worked with some high school students. Do you have any good tips or tricks on getting younger people into the trade? Things that you've noticed really work on getting them excited about it? Well, a lot of kids nowadays are interested in the computer aspect of it. When I had the high school to come up for manufacturing day, the moment I told them that we use software to create the program to put in the machine, their their mind was absolutely blown. They were like, so wait, you're just using a computer and you're putting it in there and you're making that? Like, yeah, absolutely. I think it's just the awareness. They just need to know about it. If they don't know about it, then, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. They're cutting metal. No way I could ever do that. You know what I mean? So I think really it is all about the awareness and letting them know that, um, Another thing too, a lot of kids are, I want to make, I want to make a bunch of money when I get older. And and so they, they also need to know that there's definitely money to be made out in manufacturing as well. Yeah. And it's only going to get more, like you said, because we're running out of talent. Like the people who can do this well are only going to be worth more and more. Supply and demand, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tux Garage and Kiwi Machinists were asking you about Tennessee floor finish. Kiwi so, Machinists wanted to ask, when are you going to be doing it on titanium? Tux Garage asked, how do you like the Tennessee floor finish? So do you know about Tennessee floor finish? Oh, I know about it. <laughs> you know, fun fact, Ian Sandusky posted something one day and we decided that we were going to blow up his comments and make sure he added TFF his hashtags. So if <laughs> what what's your view on Tennessee floor finish, Dylan? Um, I could never ship a part to my customers with Tennessee floor finish, but oh yeah, I'd have done it on fixtures for internal stuff. <laughs> so you got an apartment that takes that Scotch Bright and ruins the Tennessee floor finish. Yep, I see how it is. <laughs> so um, oh no 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 Scotch Bright <laughs> on my parts either. <laughs> So TFF was actually, um, we're trying to make it go viral. Let's do that. It's when you use an adaptive tool path and the floor finish has all those crazy designs on it. Now it's flat. 
It doesn't mean that, you know, it, it's not in spec. It's just you, you're leaving the toolpath marks on, on the bottom of your floor. And it's usually a pretty cool, crazy design. If I ever going to do it on titanium, I hope I don't run titanium for a long time. Titanium sucks. Not a fan? I mean, if I have to do it, I got to do it, right? But yeah, titanium, titanium is brutal. Absolutely brutal. Well, and you were saying that you do stuff at a grade two. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I've machined plenty of grade five and like that stuff's totally yeah. fine, but I think it's quite a bit harder and probably breaks the chip a little bit easier than grade two. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Grade two is definitely a little bit tougher and the heat resistant on it. Like the, the moment you don't have coolant flowing on that thing, you're going to burn that, that tool up. Oof. Yeah. No fun. Kiwi machinist also asked, do you eat kiwi fruit skin and all, or just the insides? So I'm guessing that this is inside joke between you two. Definitely inside joke. So. Actually, are you familiar with Impractical Impractical Machinist podcast? I am not. No, it's, it's not really a podcast. So oh. there's about <laughs> there's about forty two of us in a Instagram chat, and is it is impractical. Let's just say it is crazy. It's all machine shop owners, machine machinists, programmers, all of us in there. And so yeah, Kiwi is also in there, and we had a conversation about eating kiwi like an apple, like I do. And he calls himself Kiwi because I guess from being in New Zealand, being from New Zealand. So yeah, Kiwis with the skin on, I take a bite like an apple. It's good for you. That's where all the nutrients are at. So sue me. <laughs> yeah, no, I've actually, I've tried it both ways. I, nice. I'm not a, I, I don't care either way. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Brings us on to shop news and new things. What is new or exciting in your world? Well, I have quite a few jobs coming up, you know, having my, having some new guy, newer guys in the machine shop, a lot of the crazy stuff gets dropped on me and my old man. And so I've been going through a lot of different jobs, seeing what we got up and I'm going to be pretty busy. My, my next, next job that we got going on is made out of Torlon and I've never machined Torlon. So that should be fun. Um, but yeah, just we're just staying busy, and um, we've got our, our Christmas festivities coming up. So yesterday we had a team or a, uh, a shop wide huddle, and we call we call it our. It's just a shop floor huddle. I don't know if you have been familiar with leans and lean and things like that, doing huddles and things, but we have the whole week of Christmas off. So that I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. They're giving us paid paid week vacations. That's going to be crazy. That's killer. Yeah, we've got all the Christmas festivities coming up next week. So everybody is decorating around their machines and around the building. So we're doing a competition and who wins that. So basically, uh, things coming up in the shop is just holiday holiday spirit, man. Awesome. So you mentioned your new guys. How do you go about training these guys up and you know giving them more and more complex jobs? Like, is, is there milestones that you have in your head for them so that you know like oh now i can throw this kind of part at them or how do you go about making sure that they learn but also succeed and they're not just you know costing the company money right it's a hard definitely a hard task to juggle so for instance with my nephew right now we just finished up a weldment and we do quite a bit of weldments in here and so when that happens what usually I'll do is I'll work side by side with them or I will, if I'm working on something myself, I will get to the point where I can walk away and they usually come to me before they do anything. 
And so it's just working next to them side by side and seeing what their ability is. You know, some people just can do things a little better than other people. And so you've got to understand, you know, what their ability is, machine they're good at or processes they're good at. And you just got to work side by side with them. That's it. How does the company go about costing jobs like that? Like if you know it's going to a trainee or somebody who's less skilled, you know, are they taking that in mind when they're quoting it and, you know, quoting a longer lead time or more money knowing that both of you are going to be working on it? Or, you know, how does that work? Yeah. Normally what they'll do is they'll charge them the training for half of it. So half of their time is going to go towards, you know, training, which is overhead. And the other half is going to go towards the particular job. We also, when we quote jobs, we've got machine high, machine low. So what'll happen is, is obviously my, my dad or myself are going to be, we know we're going to be on that job. We quoted as machine high at a higher labor cost. Machine low will be somebody who's still training. So that way they can take that little bit of extra time, but not affect the profit. Okay. And then how do you go about starting a new machinist? Like what is the first thing that you start training them? Is it G code? Is it, do you have them work on manual machines? You know, how do you bring somebody up to be a competent uh, machinist? Um, throw them in the water and tell them to swim. So <laughs> yeah, really depends on the individual. If they've got some kind of background in something, you know, my nephew, when he first started, we started throwing them on the smaller stuff, doing, doing manual lathe, doing we had a track mill, so doing the track mill and things like that, and then kind of working your way up. And now I got them on the 42 five axis. So, um, yeah, you just got to start them off with the, the smaller, easy stuff. And as they learn, you know, what a cut's supposed to sound like, what a, you know, what every tool is used for, things like that, you can start putting them on more riskier adventures. Okay. How does the Herco control handle collision detection and things like that? Do you give it? solid models of your tool holders and fixturing and all of that or is it kind of just you know you have to watch and be careful just like any machine i mean unless you're using cam you don't have collision avoidance so the same deal turn your rapids low um have your retract clearances up high enough things like that and i mean crashes are generally pretty avoidable as long as you're sticking with it you know watching it and yeah so are there any rules of thumb you guys have on your five axis to avoid that? You know, certain riser heights that you have to do and tool lengths and things like that so that, you know, they know that they're somewhat set up for success? Um, well, kind of, sort of. Right now, because my nephew is on the five axis and he's learning it with him step by step. So I kind of know what's going on and, you know, he'll learn as we go. Um, that's, you know, there's, Obviously, we've got a rock lock base in there for our tool setter, which he has already smashed once oh, before. No. Yep. Thank, thank, thank God for the uh, Renishaw replacement program. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just uh, for a little while, I was putting a comment in his programs, make sure to take out the tool setter. But other than that, yeah, just, you know, just being careful, keeping your rapids on low and watching everything before you commit. Okay. Well, that brings me to the last two questions I ask every guest every week. First up is, what did you research this week? You know, we're all curious people in this trade. doesn't have to be machining related. It's just been what's been popping up in your browser. Yeah. So I've actually been researching a lot of Torlong this week. I know that's coming and I'm kind of dreading it because I didn't want to do it. I guess I'm doing it now. 
the reason why I'm, well, just to kind of sidetrack, the reason why I'm regretting it is because the customer requires that all internal features get machined by diamond tooling only. I cannot use any carbide, any high-speed steel, nothing has to be diamond. So that causes me to not be able to use drills and have to use boring heads instead. Yeah, it's because it's, it's all lay tools. So Yikes. Yeah, so regretting that. So I'm doing a lot of research on Torlon right now. So that'll be fun. It's a vacuum chamber made out of plastic. Fun. How big is this part? Um, about eight inches diameter and maybe 10, 11 inches long. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it's pretty big then. Not too bad. Yeah. Some of our smaller stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, um, what else have you been researching? Well, the other day I was actually researching flashbangs, if that. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to have some flashbangs, but I guess they're illegal. <laughs> oh, man. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, the last question I ask every guest every week is, what are the things you're working on to be a better person, leader, employee, what have you? None of us are perfect. We're all working on stuff. What are you working on? So there's, this past year has been a lot as far as business, I will say. I just finished up a class. Uh, it was a college course class that my company sent me to where it was um, it was manufacturing leadership. So it was teaching you all about running manufacturing company, how to lead it from, you know, stop to bottom. So that was pretty good to be in. Right now, I ASME class. So we are an ASME, you know, uh, pressure builder, we'll say pressure manufacturer. So I would like to know more about some of the code and how things work out. So a little so learning in ASME. Um, Let's say, so personally, just trying to spend some more time with my wife, as you know, you know, work and then social media and everything like that. So like last night we went out to a Mexican restaurant and had some tacos. So we're definitely doing that and hanging out with my kids. As you know, Miranda likes to come to work with me. So that's about it. Awesome. Any lessons that you can share with us from your uh, manufacturing leadership class? Well, the one thing I really liked about the that class was very beginning when we were talking about personalities and they did disc assessments. I never knew about that before. I don't know if you've ever taken one of those tests, but I don't think is, I have. No. It is absolutely cool. Breaks you, breaks your personality down based off of a series of tests that you have to take and explains what kind of person you are and how you can be a manager to that or, you know, be a leader to that particular person. So that was, that was actually one of the cooler things. So check out disc assessment. Awesome. Well, Kenny, thank you so much. One more time, can you let everybody know where they can find you online? Yep, Patriot underscore Machinist, and it's spelled M-U-C-H-E-E-N-I-S-T. And that's what Miranda used to call me when she was real little. I was a machinist, and that's why it's spelled that way. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. It was great to get to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. My pleasure. And thanks to all the Patreon members who make the show possible. And let me send people like Kenny microphones so you have better audio. And thank you all for listening. And I'll be back next week.